Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to another edition of our Roots Running Sessions podcast. I'm Richie Hansen, coach of the Roots Running Project in Boulder, Colorado. And in this podcast, I'll be talking with two of our athletes that joined our group this past fall, Margaret Conley and Andy Phillips. Both are just starting out their post-collegiate careers, although it's been about two years since they graduated from their respective colleges. And until about two weeks ago, it had been about two years since they competed in a track competition. Injuries are definitely a part of the sport if you're in it long enough, and their story is no different. But what I found most interesting was the way that they stayed passionate for the sport throughout all of those setbacks. I hope you find their stories interesting, and if you're struggling with your own injuries, can use it as motivation as you try to get back to normal running again. And as always, if you like the content that we're trying to put out, please help spread the word or write a review on iTunes or SoundCloud, and hope you enjoy. All right, thanks guys. Health is a commodity when you don't have it, and you take advantage of it when you do have it. And I think if we can keep you healthy long enough, there's no telling what potential might be as long as you stay excited and passionate about the sport enough to see the return. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Roots Running Sessions podcast. Today we are here with Andy Phillips and Margaret Conley, uh, two of our uh, kind of middle distance runners. Andy, we're trying to transition you up to the 5K, but currently you've done mostly 800s and 15s. And Margaret, you've done mostly 1500s and 5Ks throughout your career up to this point. And both of them are coming off their first post-collegiate track race of their hopefully long, successful careers. Um, but one of the reasons why I wanted to bring both of them together today is they both had pretty rocky collegiate careers. They had some success while they were both running collegiately, both at Division I colleges. Andy ran at Gonzaga, Margaret at uh, Iowa State and Brown. But they had some hiccups along the way, both um, with injuries as they were trying to start their post-collegiate career, but then also while they were trying to build up towards uh, bigger things at the Division One level. So I wanted both of them to kind of talk about what that experience was like and what their experience has been thus far training as a post-collegiate athlete. So Andy, Margaret, thanks for joining today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. All right, so let's start with a little bit of a background on both of you, you guys. I kind of touched on where you guys went to school, but let's dive a little bit deeper into what that experience was like. So Andy, let's start with you. Yeah, so um, I went to Gonzaga. I ran for uh, Coach Pat Tyson, um, mostly middle distance. Uh, I kind of started with my main focus uh, on the 800, um, and as I kind of progressed, I switched to uh, more of a 1500 uh, runner. And were you recruited there, or did you get? Were you a walk on? Uh, I was recruited, but um, they most. Pretty much, we were all walk-ons because they didn't have a lot of funding. Um, so, what were your, let's let's real quick? What were your marks coming out of high school uh, to be able to run at a Division One? So they were pretty slow. Uh, I ran. I'm 
from Jackson Hole, Wyoming, but uh, I ran 428 and 1600, uh, 157 and 800. But you're also from altitude. Yeah, yeah. So mostly running between five and 7,000 feet. So you go to Gonzaga, enjoy Pat Tyson, obviously. He's a a very, very big uh, student of the sport, but also gets very excited about races. Very charismatic. Um, I think one of the factors that led me to go to Gonzaga was he was the only coach that sent like handwritten notes and he sent a lot of them <laughs> so I knew that he was committed committed to me um, I wasn't again having marks like 428 and 157 I wasn't really recruited very heavily uh, out of high school um, but I could tell that he had interests and he had uh, kind of a, a vision and a goal to put Gonzaga on the map and um, bought into that right away. Did you run many 1500s or miles when you were in high school or were you more of like a 4-8 guy that transitioned up to the 15? I was, uh, I did, I ran pretty much everything from the 400 up to the 5200. Okay. Um, So I won, actually won state twice in cross country uh, for 5k Um, and then uh, won state in the 1600 and then what did you finish your Gonzaga career with marks-wise? Uh, 343 in the 1500, uh, 151 in the 800, and um, yeah. So and you just ran 4x4, right? You didn't run open 4 when you were Yeah, just 4x4. Four four. Yeah. And then Margaret, you started your career at Brown, but then went to Iowa State. Yeah, um, kind of similar to Andy. I wasn't heavily recruited out of high school. What were your marks coming out of high school? Um, my two-mile best was the end of senior year so that was kind of past the point of um recruiting schools. yeah uh but that was ten thirty six. which pretty good um yeah uh, but before that junior year was like 11 minutes or something like that 11 yeah. 12 what about mile uh the mile again my best was senior year and that was 455 okay um but before that was like 516 or something so there was a huge jump from junior to senior year. Um, I did have better marks in cross country. Um, I made the state meet multiple times. And you grew up in Chicago mm-hmm. area? Yeah. Um, so I never really placed ball at state in cross country. Um, so that was kind of one of the factors that probably didn't um, attract many colleges. But um, I did get a postcard from Brown, and I recognized it as a good school. I didn't know it, it was an IV at the time. Um, Did that scare you once you found that out? A little bit. I was excited about it, and the fact that my brother went to Providence College okay. two miles away, so, yeah, so I thought it'd be insane. really cool to kind of go to school close to him. And um, Providence is a cool town, too. It is, yeah. And I actually wanted to go to Providence um, so that we could be at the same school together. So one year, uh, my dad and I dropped my brother off, and had an interview with the coaches at Providence, and they sounded so not interested. Um, They said pretty much that if I got into the school, I could walk on. Um, But then a couple hours later, I went over to Brown and talked to um, the coaches over there, and they sounded really enthusiastic and welcoming. So um, I kind of put that like first on my list. And you spent your first four years there and Mm -hmm. then transferred as a graduate student? Yes, I graduated from Brown 2014. Um, they don't allow you to take a fifth year uh, uh, in the Ivy League. 
So I went to Iowa State um, for my fifth year and well, started my grad program. Were you looking at other schools other than Iowa State, or was it Iowa State or not running? Um, I was looking at New Mexico and Colorado um, and San, University of San Francisco. Um, I took a, a trip to San Francisco and came close to taking a trip to Colorado, mm-hmm. but the uh, financial situation worked out a lot better at Iowa State. And I felt really happy and comfortable with that decision. Now, what did both of you think of where you went to college? Like the city, the town, the experience from a culture standpoint on the team. Did you enjoy it? I did. Um, so, I, like, I like Spokane. Um, it's kind of an interesting city. Like, great access to trails. And, and you guys didn't have a track on campus, right? You had to use a different Yeah, track. right. Um, we used uh, Spokane Community Colleges, which is about three miles away. So perfect warm-up, cool-down. Warm yeah. yeah. Oh. Uh, Margaret, what about you at Brown and Iowa State? I absolutely love Brown and Providence. Yeah. It's just such a funky little town. Um, now, the coach that you ran for was different than the coach that recruited you, right? There was a transition right before you got transition. there. Yeah. Uh, were you, you were experienced by the – did you know much about the coach that ended up being the head coach when you were there prior to getting No, there? he uh, – Mitchell Baker came on my – sophomore year, the beginning of my sophomore year, um, going into Brown, the head coach had just, uh, been let go and left and the assistant, Jill Miller stepped up and coached that first year. Um, so then she left, um, soon after that and Mitchell Baker came, uh, for that sophomore year and kind of changed the culture around, made it, um, a lot more focused, a lot more team driven. And he's still there. He's still there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, creating a lot of success and good things. Um, but yeah, I, I think I had a good time as a college kid all around, um, which may or may not have been detrimental to my running career. Um, you're a college kid. Yeah. Yeah. I tried, uh, kind of getting more serious the end of sophomore year. And then when I made the jump to Iowa state, it was, perfect. It was what I was looking for. Um, serious culture. Serious culture. My grad program allowed a lot of electives at that point, uh, which I took full advantage of. And it felt like I was working like a part-time job. And um, Coach Smith was the coach. There were he, was the he was the men's, men's coach. coach. Yeah. Uh, Andrea Grove McDonough is the women's coach. Right, right, right. And she was great. She really knows how to um, excite her athletes and make them feel like they uh, belong anywhere and me um so i had a good time at both schools and you you guys finished second your cross-country season that you were there at nationals right and then you competed indoors outdoors um you were injured which we'll get into um but then you had the option to return your senior year you decided not to pursue the graduate studies for my sixth year for your sixth year Mm -hmm. and so you were a volunteer assistant Right. right so what was that experience like yeah so i applied um for a sixth year because of multiple missed seasons and I got it. Um, so that would have been indoor and outdoor that second year of grad school, but for various reasons I'll get into later, probably. Um, uh, I ended up dropping the grad school portion of things and helping out with the team, which was the best thing I probably could have done at that point. Um, just to give back to a team that I felt like I really knew, and to learn about coaching from 
like the coach's perspective rather than the athlete. And the stress the coach has to go through. Yeah, the stress. Managing yeah, the excitement. everyone at a track yeah, meet. It's, yeah, it's a lot more than... I had realized before, yeah. uh, especially the office work. There's a lot of stuff behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. As a, for those listening at home that have aspirations of being a high school coach, a collegiate coach, or a pro coach, the one with the least amount of administrative work, pro coach hands down. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I just was able to take some time off completely running, exercising, and I felt like giving back and like seeing the athlete's successes was more fulfilling at that time. Especially since you were teammates with a lot of them. Yeah, as teammates. I knew the girls as friends better than as an athlete-coach dynamic. And I'm sure from that aspect too, being being so close with them as an athlete and then again as a coach, you can kind of be that sounding board to Mm -hmm. be able to, if they don't necessarily feel the most comfortable approaching the head coach, they can come to you first and then you can be that mediator. Yeah, Um, and... When I did start training again, I still had my locker in the locker room, so it did feel like a cohesive environment where they could come talk to me. Now, both of you had your fair share of injuries. In your estimate, how many healthy seasons did you have, each of you? Complete Complete, complete healthy season. Yeah, I don't think I had one season where I didn't at least have one leg injury. I had a lot of lower leg injuries, so Achilles issues. Yeah, kind of run down the list for me. So I've had a lot of Achilles issues because um, I'm kind of a four-foot middle um, distance guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, shin splints, and then the bigger, the biggest one is I've had two knee surgeries, broken cartilage. And you told me they did microfracture. They did, yeah, like right in the trochlear groove of the, of the femur. So how much time did you miss from each of those? The first surgery was in high school, but uh, my second one was in the fall before my last year at Gonzaga. I had three months where I wasn't allowed to run on like outside on like full weight bearing, and then probably another month where I was jogging very very easily where I couldn't. Do you guys no alter G or we had an underwater treadmill, so okay. I did a lot of that's, that that's nice, during yeah. that three month period. But I was able to make it back for indoors, and then uh, got a couple of races in. I got some good workouts in, and then was lucky enough that things kind of came together for outdoor season and I was still able to make it uh, take a three seconds off my 1500 PR and qualify for regional regionals. How long after that knee surgery, like you said, three months of no running, did it take you to start feeling like yourself again, running fast, running hard, just running in general? Probably right around indoor season. So January 10th? January, yeah. I had... So the surgery was in August, and then I ran my first workout right around Thanksgiving. What was that one? Do you remember? I ran a turkey trot. Okay. That was your first workout. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I mean, actually, from then on, I felt pretty good. Definitely out of shape. There were some days, like, my knee never felt really 100%. There were some days where, like, it would kind of flare up after a workout. I'd have to take a really easy day to cross train a day. But for the most part, I was able to get in get the work in, and then I opened my indoor season with a 411 mile, which was kind of a big surprise. So aerobically, you could have been more fit than you had been in the past, partially because you couldn't have done the all-out speed stuff up to that point. At what point did you start doing speed work prior to that mile? I think right around like December, Christmas time. 
So about three, four weeks before the race. Yeah. And when you're looking at that progression going into outdoor, how did the knee feel that outdoor season? Would you have flare-ups? Or? I would, I'd still have flare-ups. It was just kind of like constantly sore. And again, there were days where like after some workouts, it'd be worse than other days. But uh, I also had a flare-up in my Achilles that outdoor season. So it kind of takes precedence. Yeah, right? yeah. But again, I was still able to get the work in. I also knew that like this was my last collegiate season. So that kind of helped like keep me going. It forced me not to take any time off. And Margaret, how many healthy seasons for you? I had, out of five total seasons across, I did four. No, five years. Five years, yeah. yeah. Um, so three at Brown, one at Iowa State. And then um, indoor, I had one at Brown, one at Iowa State. And I don't think I've ever had an outdoor healthy, healthy season. season. Or like a few times, I think my sophomore year at Brown uh, in outdoor. But I I think I raced at Stanford and just came in dead last. And I think I was overtrained and had a virus at that time. So it just was a mess all around. So you need a, a mulligan. You need a second yeah. try. Mm-hmm. Yes. So what injuries did you sustain while you were at Brown and Iowa State? Um, I've had a lot of Achilles issues as well. Um, I had a calf tear that kind of like led into the Achilles, so that was all jumbled up, and I didn't have a clear diagnosis for maybe half a year. I've had... No surgery with that. No surgeries, no. Stress fractures. Stress fractures. Um, I've had bilateral sacral stress fractures. That was the big one. Yeah, um, both sides at the same time, going into senior year at Brown, and then... It happened again on the right side, going into what would have been my sixth year at Iowa State, and then another stress reaction on my heel. Um, and that was this last summer. September, yeah. Okay, so we got kind of a list of what you guys had injured when you were in college. How was it coming back from injury? I know when I was in college, I had a lot of teammates that they would get hurt and they're not your teammates for very much longer, not because the coach cut them, but because the motivation to come back from that injury, get back in shape and be a competitive member on the team was just really difficult. And so for someone in your guys' position where you're at competitive programs with good, talented athletes, what was it that kept that drive to continue pursuing that collegiate career? What was it that motivated you? So I think just for every injury, just knowing that I had the talent to stay competitive within the team and collegiately, but with the knee injury fall before my, my fifth year, the year before I had missed regionals by, I think, just under two-tenths of a second in the 1500. I think I was number 50 on the descending order list. So just, I mean, I didn't want to end my collegiate season that way. So that helped big time throughout the whole, just like coming back from that knee surgery, all the rehab, but it's tough. I mean, anyone who's been a part of a team and, have, and has had a pretty serious injury knows it's mentally, it's, it's a grind. You get to I've, be really good friends with the training group. Yeah, yeah, all the training, training staff, but just to see like, you know, your teammates and I mean, really your best friends like going out and crushing workouts and you're relegated to the bike or the underwater treadmill or the pool, or, you know, so that's, that's tough, but, you know, just keeping, keeping that end goal in, in sight, um, and knowing that every day, like, it's, you're another day closer to getting back out on the track, 
just kind of kept me going. Yeah, um, I'd say similar to Andy, just knowing that I I had the, the talent and I was just scratching the surface of what I thought I could do, but that that injury kind of always kept me, that next injury always kept me from getting there. And somehow I convinced myself that it was always the next week or a week after that that I would be back training. So I would cross train enough to keep my uh, aerobic system working and in good enough shape, which I think uh, was really frustrating for me because I would be aerobic aerobically fit when I came back and then when I would go out and I was supposed to do a really slow progression back to running there was just no way because I felt so great running and it wasn't um, uncomfortable you just wanted to push I just wanted to push and I would the first couple years at Brown I would just keep doing that cycle setting myself back especially with tendon issues that's probably the worst way you can come back Um, and I think for all the coaches and and athletes listening at home, that's an important point that Margaret's emphasizing there is that she felt good returning to sport, so she felt that intrinsic need to have to push because it felt fine. But like you experienced when you were in college, another injury was not too far down the road, which it becomes difficult. That's the coach's position. They need to hold the leash a little bit more. It's easy to get excited with that fitness coming around quicker than they anticipate and just want to push Mm because they want to optimize what your ability is. It's also exciting for the athlete to see that fitness without feeling like they have to kind of put down those intrinsic breaks Mm -hmm. or or reins to to just do what's on their schedule as opposed to just feeling like they have to constantly push. And that's something that we've emphasized now with you both and the team in general of doing what's on your schedule, regardless of who's present on the day, just to make sure you're not going to the well too frequently because it's constantly about gauging efforts and making sure that you're recovering well between those efforts. And it's my job to adjust those once we see that you're adapting to those. Yeah, and I think it's that's really what um, a coach is there for. For me personally, I need uh, a coach to pull back the reins, um, especially when coming back from an injury. They need to be the ones that say, I know you're excited, we'll get there, but like not today. Hold back. Yeah. Which and, is tough in that serious team culture where you know it's competitive. And yeah. It's, it's sink or swim if it's a matter of making a, a conference cross-country mm-hmm. team or Andy, in your case, you know how close you were the year before with making a regional spot, and you want that for your senior year. It's natural to want to push a little bit more. Yeah, because you can always kind of fake it for one meet and be fit enough for maybe one season, but your long-term health is not is not going to be what it should be. Now, when you guys would cross-train, would you do that separate from team practice, or would you do it during team practice? It would usually be during team practice, yeah. We would meet every day. Tyson would kind of ramble for 10, 15 minutes, and then, uh, and then I'd drill off to the training room and see what the trainers wanted me to do that day. Sometimes it worked like that for me, too, but especially senior year, I would say I would swim or water on in the mornings. Uh, the pool was open at, like, 5.30, so I would do that, and then when we had practice in the afternoons, I would just pop my head in. So now we have two different sides, one that would be there at practice and cross-train at a separate time and someone that would cross-train during. How is that in your ability to relate to the team, to feel a part of that team when you're trying to rehab while everyone else is doing this different work? 
do you feel like that connection was just as strong as when you were active members of that team? Or do you feel like you cross training separately, Andy felt a little bit more disconnected, like you weren't a contributing member and it would have been better had you been out of practice, even if it's just there holding a stopwatch like you or Margaret, or do you feel like Margaret in your scenario, regardless of what position you were in, it didn't matter. It's hard to feel like you're a competitive person on that team without having that injury as kind of in that back corner. I still felt fairly uh, connected. I mean, everyone was like very, um, I mean, I guess interested in how I was doing, you know, every day, like testing us, like, how's it going today? Um, so I never really, uh, I guess I never really thought about that in that way, like, um, whether or not if I would have felt more connected with the team if I were like out there watching workouts. And I think that's what you're saying though, is I think you're in a unique position with the college coach that you did have, who is very energetic, cares about all those people like their own, his own kids. Yeah, definitely. And so I think he, he, outside of a lot of college coaches, would go above and beyond to check in and make sure that the athlete is doing well with what they're supposed to do. Because yeah, yeah. some of the experience that you do hear is that if you're on the injury list, you don't hear from that coach until you're back out there at practice. Exactly. I never felt ignored. I mean, I felt... I guess sorry for myself that I wasn't like out there practicing, but I never felt like I was like, um, like off the team. And it does help that you're obviously living with teammates yeah. at the same time, yeah. so you can almost relish in what their accomplishments are. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, I'm going to sound like a really bad person now, <laughs> um, and I definitely don't put this on my coach because uh, he was great. He always checked in with me. I I've seen kind of the difference uh, that schools can, or different coaches can have, um, with athletes that are injured, but, um, Mitchell really cared about my mental health. Um, Mm -hmm. but it was more, it was definitely coming from me. My, uh, senior year was just so frustrating. Um, that first cross country season, I was still captain. So I think that was, that went decently well because the stress fracture was coming along. The recovery was was fine, um, but then it just kind of kept um, kept going, and it was like leeching into my whole senior social year. life, my whole senior year. And I was living with um, teammates, and I would I'll be the first to admit I was not a good teammate or friend and, that last year. And I don't think I mean I, I hear that commonly too, where you even see athletes at a post collegiate level that are good athletes that once they get hurt, they don't even pay attention to the sport because it's difficult mm-hmm. to be involved with it when they are trying to come back from something that does have such an emotional attachment with it because yeah. you are expressing so much energy every time you go out to do a workout. Mm-hmm. So it takes even more mental energy to one try to reestablish that fitness, but also try to manage symptom pattern as it relates to coming back from a stress reaction, Achilles injury, shin splints. Um, and I, I, I empathize with you that you're in the position of a captain. So you're having to lead athletes that you can't also mm-hmm. take part in the same activities that they yeah. are. Yeah. I just felt like I started getting more and more bitter, like towards the end of the year, because I just felt like I was doing everything I should be doing, going to bed early, eating everything I should be doing all the PT stuff, and then I would see younger teammates or my friends, like, having a good time and maybe not taking everything as seriously and not going to bed and going out and, 
like partying and I was like just bewildered how they could take their running for granted like that. So your senior self would have been mad at your <laughs> freshman self. Oh, totally. Like we would have been worse than these. <laughs> yeah. But um, you learned and you were shaking your yeah, finger. I was like granny Margaret. Yeah. And looking back, I just, it's, it's sad and I feel bad for my friends <laughs> who are still my friends. So yeah. So you weren't them. too bad. Yeah, I think I've apologized. (laughs) You've learned to be more patient in your adult life. Yeah, yeah. So So after after college, obviously you guys both had injury riddled seasons, but you still, like I said, had success. What drove you to pursue post collegiate running? So I actually took a a full year off after my my fifth year at Gonzaga, from a kind of a number of factors. And one of those, correct me if I'm wrong, you kind of thought you were done running. I did. Yeah. So, I mean, kind of the whole story was, so I had, I actually had a really good spring track season. Um, Everything went well. Um, Knee felt pretty good, um, but I made it through. But after kind of the emotional roller coaster of a year that I had that year, coming back from the knee surgery, uh, the the other little soft tissue injuries that popped up, I was ready for a break. Uh, so I decided I'll, you know, I'll go back home to Jackson Hole, take two, three weeks completely off, uh, try to recharge. And then the plan was uh, to actually move out to Portland by the end of the summer and start training with my old teammate and actually current teammate, Willie Milam. Funny and how that works out. <laughs> Destiny. Um, the odd couple. <laughs> living together now, too. And that was meant to me. Yeah, so... That was the goal, um, but I started running again during the summer, and actually, the knee didn't feel great. This was summer 2015. So yeah, 2015. And the other side was for those don't, that don't know, my dad was diagnosed with brain cancer in 2010, and um, I mean he had surgery on it. He was in remission and doing well, but it actually came back in the spring of 2015. So he had surgery but had to see a doctor in Salt Lake for treatment every two weeks, which is about a four and a half, five hour drive from Jackson. And so I kind of wanted to, that was part of the reason for me, like moving home and staying home was I wanted to help out, help him out, help my mom out um, by driving down as much as I could. So just having that going on coupled with, you know, the mental burnout from the year before, and the lingering pain in my knee, I decided to just kind of hang it, hang them up. And I didn't really run from August 2015 to like January of, uh, you know, 2016. Enjoying the retired life. Yeah, it was, it was great. <laughs> but I, I love the sport. I miss the sport. And I decided and I've been talking to my old high school coach a lot, just kind of like talking about training, um, talking about the upcoming spring season. And he actually asked me if he wanted, if I wanted to be an assistant assistant coach for him. And so I kind of jumped at that. And that's what kind of got me back into running consistently again. I started just running, going out for easy runs with some of the high school guys. Um, And then I started running and leading workouts with with those high school guys. Um, And I realized like, hey, I'm running consistently again. And I was having fun doing it. Um, I think one day after practice, I 
just on a whim decided to run an 800 meter time trial and I run ran a 155 and I thought like hey like you know and this is up in Jackson yeah yeah up at altitude six six thousand feet so I thought like you know I still have kind of have it um, so I decided I tried um, doing some harder workouts just on my own and those went well and that's when I decided like you know things are going well I'm loving the sport I'm loving training this is kind of what I want to do right now and that's when I want uh, reached out to Richie and uh, luckily I got a spot on the team well and I think it's crazy at the time that we're recording this we're almost one year after you started running consistently again. Yeah. So you yep. had taken yeah, a significant is... break. And so, like, I mean, part of the reason we were intrigued by you in the first place, Willie, your teammate, had actually contacted us first. And obviously mm-hmm. we were going through the process of bringing him out to kind of see Boulder. And he mentioned that he had a former teammate that has a lot of talent, just couldn't stay healthy, and mentioned some of your marks. And... I have a little bit of an ego that I feel like if you have some decent talent and I can keep you healthy, then we can optimize that talent. And so, I mean, we saw obviously some of the success with someone like Noah and someone like Mara that had some injuries in college. And it it was something that we feel like if we can keep you healthy, considering some of the stuff that you've had to come back from, and Margaret, you're very much in that same category. You guys are people with enough talent underneath you that your potential and ceiling is really high. We never know what someone's genetic ceiling is, but you guys obviously were talented enough to go to some decently accredited programs and showed some decent success there while having some significant injuries. Um, Margaret, what was it that motivated you to pursue post-collegiate? I just, I don't think I've ever felt done um, or like accomplished I guess uh, the injuries have just come right one after the other, and I think my best performance at Iowa State was like 0.02 seconds away from making indoor nationals in the 3K, and I think that near win just made me so hungry for outdoor, and then I was injured, and I felt like I was just reaching, or like just starting to climb to where I could potentially go. Yeah, you're sixteen oh eight indoors. That's a that's a pretty darn good mark for an indoor mark. Like, yeah. The three K was the one that I just missed out. Right. Yeah. But your sixteen oh eight is what intrigued me the most mm-hmm. because running that sixteen oh eight, I mean nine oh eight is really good. It's hard to always translate that up to what someone's gonna run for a five K. Because your nine oh eight does transition into a faster five K, but running a sixteen oh eight indoors, you look at the people that actually run indoor seasons and to run a sixteen oh eight in a conference meet where it is not necessarily about time. It is more tactical because it's about point scores. You finished second in that race. Like that was something that did intrigue me. It's unfortunate you didn't have the ability to run that outdoor season. Cause I feel like you probably would have run even faster. And if you did, we probably aren't having this conversation right now because you're on a different team. But fortunately, yeah. fortunately yeah. or unfortunately <laughs> you're, you're yeah. here, but yeah, I mean that, that's something like, for the injury that you had to come back from your senior year at Brown to what fast forward 10 months to running that time, a bilateral, for those at home, a bilateral sacral stress fracture, it's a long layoff. Like it's a, it's a long rehab. And so to come back from that and still run faster than where you were fitness wise prior to that is an incredible testament to what your potential is, but also fitness just maintaining through cross training, which is tough yeah. to do. That's not easy. Yeah, 
So um, when I decided to quit Iowa State, a lot of it was because my sacrum was kind of acting up again, and I couldn't walk without pain, and my grad program was really frustrating, and all these requirements were suddenly popping up. So I just told myself, I'll just quit this, and I'll volunteer, and I'll take as long as I want to off from running or exercising. And that ended up being maybe like a week or two weeks, not as long as I had anticipated, but I just loved the, uh, the component of exercising itself so much that I the runner's high. It, yeah, it really is. It's You're a smiley person out of practice. <laughs> yeah. And having the girls there to coach and practice with in the afternoons was great. I often would do my own thing in the morning. But yeah, I just couldn't stay away from it, which is why I'm not here now. What was it that drove you to our team and moving to Boulder in particular? Well, for me, I was uh, really interested in Boulder in general because... My boyfriend, Matthew, is a triathlete and was just starting to pursue that. And Boulder is a hotbed for triathletes as well as runners. So um, we kind of made a list of a few places in the U.S. that could accommodate both our um, training needs. Um, And Boulder was a great spot for that. But he also sent me your first uh, podcast with Jay Johnson and it just popped into my head that like you guys sounded like a perfect match. Um, you being a chiropractor definitely, definitely, um, was a huge plus, but I also just liked the attitude, um, of the, of the group that was actually kind of small at the time. I think it was like, it was me, Mara, Aliyah, Noah, and Tyler had just joined. Mm -hmm. You have to enjoy the area that you're going to be in. You have to trust the coach that you're going to be with and you have to enjoy the environment, what that training system and what that area that you're going to be surrounded by provides. So I think that's something that when we're trying to talk to recruits, whether it be the two of you or any potential ones that we have in the future and the ones that we've had out for visits in the past, we emphasize that like don't sponsorship, accessibility to resources, all of that stuff does help. Yeah. But if you can't stay healthy in the sport long enough, and if you can't perform up to the level of your potential, you're probably not going to be with that sponsor for very long. Right. So ultimately, when you're making a decision for where you want to continue pursuing your career at whatever capacity that may be, don't pick us based on what we can give you. But ultimately, to keep someone long term and be able to optimize their ability to perform well consistently, you guys are in the position that you need to stay healthy long enough to be able to see the return on your performance. And again, we harp on you guys have the ability and the talent, but the, one of the biggest quotes that I've heard Molly Huddle say was there's no secret to doing well in the sport. You just have to train consistently enough to be able to see the return. And that I think is something that when we look at your two careers, looking back in college, that's something that's intriguing because if we can see that mm-hmm. the ability is there. It's just now optimizing that ability. And I think that's something I said one of our first conversations. I just really, I think you asked me like what, what my goals were in the short term. And I just said consistency. Yep. Um, and health. Yeah. Consistency and health. Like yeah. health is a commodity when you don't have it. Yeah. And you take advantage of it when you do have it. And I think if we can keep you healthy long enough, 
there's no telling what potential might be as long as you stay excited and passionate about the sport enough to see the return. Mm -hmm. And for both of you, I think it's going to be exciting to see what you guys can do this spring, especially Margaret, like you just said, you haven't had a healthy spring. Season. I haven't run on an outdoor track. Yeah, imagine <laughs> under the lights at a U.S. championship or a Peyton Jordan. It beats the hell out of a humid indoor facility. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> so that I think is the exciting part is, I mean, Andy, you just came back for your first race. Margaret, you just came back for your first race. And were they the races that we envision you guys having at the end of your career for what your best races as a post collegiate? No, but it's a good return to the sport in an indoor facility where it's a low key environment. You still were at good competitive meets and you guys have good competitive meets coming up, but we need those reintroductions, even if it's just ripping off the bandaid, which is something I told you, Margaret. So to give everyone a backstory, they just ran their first indoor meet, uh, two weeks ago, the Husky preview, they're two weeks away from their next indoor meet, the Husky classic, but they both had one fall race underneath their belt. Andy did the Navy mile. We're not going to count your Turkey trot. Cause that was part okay. of a workout. Oh, club cross. Well, cl- and we're not even going to count that. Cause that was your <laughs> first 10 K your 1500 at. So those, you were doing us a favor by running club cross. Cause we need a fifth man, You're welcome. but Navy, yeah, thank you. But Navy mile was a rude awakening back into racing. At that point, you had only been running for 10 months and Margaret, you ran Manchester road race. And I gotta be honest, you surprised the hell out of me at that race because <laughs> the, the, the pulling teeth to get you to even go to the race based on the cost of it. Well, I mean, the flights are expensive going yes, to Manchester. So yeah. Shout out to Fran for <laughs> sponsoring a relative to go to Manchester. But it's it's scary to rip off that bandit and jump in a race. You both saw it. It wasn't it wasn't the most enjoyable experience on those roads. Even like you were a little bit Margaret, you were a little bit frustrated with how the outcome was, but I thought you ran unbelievably well based on what your workouts had looked like up to that point. Because we're sitting here in November when you did that turkey trot and you had been running for two and a half months at that point, coming back from a calcaneal stress fracture. And Andy, you had done almost zero speed work going into a road mile for that Navy mile. Plus I had a couple of nagging injuries. And your dad had passed away two weeks prior. His funeral was uh, five days, I think, before Navy mile. So it's like when we're looking at those performances, you guys both have external, extraneous circumstances that are obviously affecting your ability to optimize what those are. And we, we do harp on the, we're not in a position to be able to give you guys anything from a financial side. So you're betting, and this is what I told you, Margaret, going into that race, you're betting on yourself every time you go to a competition that you're going to get out of that competition what you're putting in from a financial side. And when you look at the dollar sign attached to every single competition you're, you're going into, you do yourself a disservice because then you feel like you have to justify what you're putting into it as opposed to just the passion that you guys have demonstrated already coming back from injury and now trying to pursue it on a different level than what you did even when you were in college trying to come back from it. So I think that's when we're trying to emphasize certain points to people listening to this at home that may have had similar experiences or coaches that are dealing with athletes with those same experiences, the athlete's psyche and keeping them motivated to continue pursuing that sport, especially with the ones that are talented enough to continue pursuing it post-collegiately as opposed to collegiately, 
there's something special that has to be there and something exciting about the sport that keeps you driven. We joke, Andy, you are probably the biggest student of the sport of anyone on the team. We joke that Tyler knows more about abstract Kenyans who no one's ever (laughs) heard of than anybody, even on Let's Run. But you know stats of people even as far back as what they did in high school. And so there is that passion there to follow the sport, even when you're coming back from an injury that I can see why you're still pursuing post-collegiate running. And at 343, although it's not competing for a national title when you're in college, it's still close enough, probably within four seconds of being an All-American. So there's a lot of guys that run between 339 and 343, but not with the same amount of injury history that you had and with as little aerobic volume that you had demonstrating that. Same with you, Margaret. The amount of injuries that you come back from, to run a 908 indoors and a 1608 coming back from a bilateral stress fracture, like that's that's pretty incredible. And so, again, when we're looking at your guys' long-term potential, keeping you healthy in the sport is going to be a challenge, but that falls on me to be able to structure the training, keep you guys healthy from a, a rehab standpoint. As long as you guys stay driven and passionate about what you're trying to pursue, like you guys obviously have the talent in order to do that. Talk about that experience coming into your first track race, which was two weeks ago. Like, were you nervous? Were you excited? Were you anticipatory? Your, your fitness, we know, isn't where we want it to be end of, end of spring, but it's a good stepping stone to get you reintroduced. Yeah, I was definitely nervous just since it had been, you know, since the spring of 2015 since I had run a track race. But really just excited because I felt, I mean, the comeback was such a long process um, from, you know, when I first started running consistently again to starting to workouts again to, you know, verbally committing to roots and getting, you know, sent workouts, um, remotely. While you're, yeah, while you're trying to make the arrangements to come out. In Jackson, yeah, and, um, I mean, I had a lot of good days, a lot of bad days, a couple injuries flare up during the summer, so it was, it was a long process to get to that track meet, so, but yeah, so I was, I mean, I was mostly just excited. I mean, if you had told me a year ago that, a year from now, I would be racing in the best seat at the Dempsey against Eric Jenkins and Colby Gilbert. I would have, I would have laughed because um, yeah. that was not where my mindset was January of last year. So really, just excited. Definitely basing off of some of the workouts I had done leading up, I thought I could have been run a little closer to four flat, but uh, but overall, it was a good rust buster. I'm happy it was an indoor PR. Um, three, what, two, three seconds? Yeah, two seconds. Two seconds, yeah. So I think it's it's a good place to start, and it kind of solidifies, like, the comeback. It's, it's almost complete. Like, well, two, two years <laughs> removed, two years removed, saying an indoor PR by two seconds, and knowing what you did with a 4.11 indoor PR or a 4.11 coming back from injury that first time around and then running 3.43 outdoors, like, it's it's an encouraging step for sure. Definitely. For the indoor 3K, I was a lot less nervous than the Manchester road race. Uh, for that one, I was just – didn't want to go uh, – well – I was hesitant to go and spend the money because I wasn't going to buy some dollars. Yeah. yeah. I felt like I just hadn't had enough work to really kind of give me that edge or give me that confidence that I wanted going into it. But for this past race, I was just, I was feeling really good, um, strong. It's been a while since I felt like that and felt kind of like I had my swagger back. 
so yeah, going into it, I felt excited and ready to compete. It didn't go as I had wanted. Um, I wanted a PR, but we can't always get that. Um, the I Rolling think, Stone song. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think it would have helped if I kind of trusted how I felt while I was running. Like, I felt really good, and I was right behind Rochelle Canujo and kind of just assumed that whatever pace we were running was fast and was good enough. So I wasn't uh, gutsy enough to kind of take the lead. That's um, just an experience at that point, too. It I mean, really was. one thing, sorry to jump in here, but you you raced two weeks ago, and if we're recording this in a month, it would have been two years from your last track race, which is crazy yeah. to think about, too. Yeah. I mean, just a year ago, I can't tell you how stressed I was. Like, I got an email from my advisor that was, like, a little bit of bad news, and I just totally broke down, <laughs> like, sobbing. and decided Shout out to, to Matt for so, yeah. that emotional rock. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. <laughs> so... Yeah, thinking back to like where I was last year and where I am now, luckily for me, I didn't think of that going into the race because I think it would have kind of freaked me out a little bit. But yeah, now I have kind of the pace in my head and hopefully I'll be able to hit that you know, in a couple weeks when I race again. And I think that's crazy too. You both are two years removed from your last track races. At the end of the day, when you guys step on that track two weeks ago, and you're racing a mile, Margaret, you're racing a 3K. And like you said, you had Eric Jenkins in the race, Karen O'Leonard, mm-hmm. good guys. Yeah. And Margaret, you're racing against Safan Hassan, who <laughs> th- two, three months ago was just out of medal contention at the Olympics in the 1500. Like Grace. Kate Grace, who was in the final of the 800. Kim Conley, who was an Olympian, who was helping pace. And you casually go up to Kim, hey, Kim, what pace are you going out at? <laughs> like... Probably not, not the pace. Yeah, probably not the pace <laughs> no. that Margaret should be going out at. And I think, I like you said, you wanted a PR. You, we know you're in shape to do that. But the nature of that race, like I was telling you on the phone after after the conversation, because I'm out in Houston for the half marathon, you guys were out in Seattle. You're racing against some really really talented people who had incredible years last year, and you end up finishing what nine twenty two, nine twenty. 920 and you're finishing two seconds out of sixth place you finish seventh in the heat but there was two separate packs right there's the pack that goes out with kim conley as the pacer which you had they no were, business going they were out hitting 830s. oh they were yeah. yeah they were running what 60 68s at one point yeah and they were supposed to be running what 72s yeah she said 71 72. and your goal your goal is what going 74 out? right so it's like you had no business going with that lead pack. Which I did. Which you did. That's what that, so. So I agree with you. Like yeah. it could be frustrating in the sense of like trying to get a feel for effort. We know Rochelle Canujo is a pretty talented person, and but she's just coming back to you from a break. And so I think that's an important lesson. You can never put too much stock into somebody else's fitness because you also have to trust how your body is, how your training is. When you're gauging it relative in your first track race back against really good established people. It is hard to trust that when you feel like people that are consistent, it's a good gauge of effort. And we we identified Rochelle ahead of time as someone that would be a good gauge of effort because we know she's good. We know she's talented, but she's also not Safan Hassan. Mm-hmm. And so you going out with a Kim Conley, a Safan Hassan, a Kate Grace, a Brie Felnagel, who ended up running 855 after a layoff, who ran great, you didn't have any business touching that pace, at least not yet. 
because you just haven't had the races underneath you, the experience. And we have to see where your fitness comes along this, this spring. So you made the right decision. And it's unfortunate that there was such a separation. It was 25 seconds before yeah. between that first pack to the second pack in terms of overall time, which is a lot in a 3K, obviously. It's a lot in a 5K. It's a lot in a 10K. Yeah. But 25 seconds from, from front pack to second pack, like you made the right choice. And so when we're looking at it relative to the field, you finish second place in a kick finish to the other person that would outkicked you, uh, I think Ashton Matan, who just graduated from Oregon. I thought you ran great relative to that. So I think it's encouraging because you don't hit a PR right away. You don't feel fully satisfied. You have that little bit of a chip on your shoulder going into those next races for both of you guys. Like you said, you felt like you moved way too late. Mm-hmm. Andy going into that mile, you kind of stuck at the back, kind of moved late, closed well, but it just, you left too much room. You didn't go with the move that ended up happening. And so it's learning lessons and that comes from experience. Mm-hmm. But the primary goal that we wanted to get out of both of you from that first race was getting into a competitive event, not being afraid of racing your competition and seeing as an assessment of how you felt with that relative performance afterwards. And one of the things you both emphasized was, you know, you can go faster because it it didn't feel like it was that hard. Mm -hmm. And so I think when we get you in better, better races down the road with competition that you're, you're ready to compete with, Safan Hassana and Eric Jenkins on that day probably aren't the ones you're ready to compete with, but it's ones that we want you guys to look at down the road. Maybe not Safan Hassan because she's <laughs> we have to take baby Double steps. steps. <laughs> but some of those other good American girls, a Rochelle Canujo, which you did beat at the end of the day, a Brie Felnagel, uh, Kate Grace who's stepping up in distance, um, a Leo O'Connor who's more of a steeplechaser. They're all really good established people. We didn't want to see you guys be afraid of them. You know, you have to know your fitness on the day because you can't be stupid and go out with a pace you have no business touching. But you also have to have that mindset that you're ready to compete and trust the way that your body's feeling. And like you said after, that's a good learning experience. Mm -hmm. Trust the way that you're feeling. You have to know when it's an appropriate point to start to push in a race tactically, but you still have to trust the way that you're feeling and not leave it too late. Like you guys both emphasize that you did. And so it's a good learning curve. And it's good to do it now as opposed to outdoors when you guys will be in more consistent races with some of those other people. But one and a half, two years removed from from competition, at high-level competition, and your first post-collegiate track meet back, you're racing against very well-established people, it's a good way to get reintroduced. And I, I just want to add, um, I think just being on an indoor track and competing was kind of strange. It feels really fast. Like, no matter what pace you're going, it feels fast, even strides. And Dempsey's not banked, right? right. Like, it's, it's yeah. flat 300. Um, and I think maybe the week or two prior to um, the preview, we were on treadmill a lot because of Still, the weather here. Yeah. Um, so it's hard to gauge kind of where we or I was, you know, fitness-wise. And then getting on the indoor track and going fast, it felt really fast, and it ended up, being a little slow. Plus, so. yeah. Plus, it's uh, it's a three hundred and seven meter track, so the four hundred meter splits are in just some weird places on the track. So um, if you've so never hard, you've the never splits. raced there yeah. before, yeah, like that's Andy. You're fortunate you've at least been there, yeah. But so it's I still know, tough to know. But I didn't have splits either way, so yeah. I might have known where the four was because they had a little like blinking sign. 
but I didn't even know, you know, what my mile was. And for anyone running at the Dempsey, it's a 307 meter track, like Andy just said. The key with running well there and knowing where your marks is is find Gonzaga coach Pat Tyson, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he has them mapped out, and he will tell you in depth where each one yeah. is. Margaret found that out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it does help to have that split being read out to you periodically so you just know where you're at relative to where you should be. And that's easy to do on an oval outdoors because it's standard across the board. But every right. indoor track is a little bit different, which is, like I said, it's good learning curves. It's good preparation. And I don't put a ton of emphasis on indoors. Where we put the emphasis is just updating marks since you guys have both had two years removed from, from those experiences. But – they're good ones to kind of get reintroduced to good competition early on. So now as you look two weeks ahead at the next the next race, what do you hope to get out of it? And what events are you guys doing too? I know what you're doing, but tell those at home. So I'm racing the mile again. And in my last race, I didn't feel very comfortable that first 800. And I think that's just getting used to the pain of racing again. Um, so I love a gap form pretty early uh, and then made a hard move at 500 meters to go and I was actually kind of surprised myself at how much of a change in speed I was able to make so that kind of like tells me like you can make that move earlier or not let that gap one so the main thing I'm looking for is just be more competitive with the race like race to win and uh, try to get as close to four points that's, I mean, Katie, who's one of our 1,500 girls, who was a D3 girl and has had an incredible post-collegiate career up to this point. One thing I keep emphasizing with her is if every if you go to win your heat, you're probably running pretty fast at the end of the day. And you gradually step your way up to running in better and better heats. And if you consistently go with the mindset of, I'm going to win my heat, yeah. you eventually run even faster. So going in with that mindset is, a, I think, a good thing, especially in a mile race. Like in a 5K, a 10K, you have to know relative to your competition, obviously. In a mile race, most of the people are going to be relatively close in your heat. And so you go in with that mindset and be competitive, not get too much distance in between moves, be willing to cover moves when they do occur, even if you're not feeling great. And then as you get into outdoors, you put yourself in good positions tactically, you close well, we train you well and you stay healthy. Like you should run fast. But it's a matter of obviously fulfilling all of those yeah. at the end of the day. And that's another thing about racing indoors and racing at the Dempsey is a 20-meter gap can seem like a mile. Um, so And most people are on the infield, so you can't see across yeah, the track. Yeah, you can't. So that's just the biggest thing is like no matter how bad I'm feeling, you know, just try not to let those gaps form early. Um, and Because I know like that last 400, the competitive juices are going to kick in. So, so if I'm up there, you know, I'll close well if I'm, you know, racing again. So yes. that's my big goal. So I'm racing the 5K and I'm um, hoping to PR uh, here right now at 16.08 indoor. But I think if I kind of hit my 400 goal pace, that'll be great. But I also don't want to be afraid to compete because if I compete, I have the chance to surprise myself. And I think that's I just trust myself. You know, if I'm feeling good, I can pass pass the person in front of me. And when we say a little fast, yeah. And when we say goal pace, mm -hmm. we say goal pace. Like if you hit that goal pace at the end of the day, we're happy with it, right? And we feel like it's a good testament of where your fitness is. 
But at a certain point within the race, if you've been hitting relative to that goal pace and you're feeling good, like exactly. training wheels are off. Like yeah. go, go race. Yeah. And that's where it's fun. Yeah. That's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah. I hope it, you know, feels as good as it did a couple of weeks ago. And luckily I ran slow. So I know what that pace <laughs> yeah. should feel like in the 5k. So, you know, just lock in for the first 3k or so and then just, you know, compete with what's left. Last question for both of you guys as we wrap up this podcast. You guys, obviously, when the reason we're doing this podcast is because of the history you guys both had in college with injury, and we hope to touch on some of those aspects in future podcasts because I feel like they're very beneficial pieces of information for people listening at home. But not just the goal of pursuing professional running, but what do you hope to get out of professional running? For some that are super talented, it's financial incentive. Everyone wants to say that their goal is to make the Olympics. Like, there's three people that make it in each event, so... When you guys are looking at what you had from your collegiate career and what you hope to get out of at the end of it, what do you feel like that tangibly looks like? I can go first. Okay. Um, well, yeah, I don't think I'm doing this for the money. Um, I don't know a ton of people who are. Yeah, there's a small percentage. That... Small percentage. Just, you know, the knowledge that I can stay healthy, compete well, and at the end of the day, be satisfied with what I've done in the sport. You know, on the track, on the roads, with my teammates. I, I just can't picture myself doing anything else. Not that this is the fallback, but this is what I want to be doing right now with my whole heart. So, Yeah, um, I think something Tyler said when we were doing his podcast was, I have a really hard time believing that in my 30s I'm going to look back on my 20s and say, mm -hmm. man, I really wish I didn't pursue professional Yeah, running. Yeah, I mean, I, I was telling my parents when I – decided to move out here, that I'm not choosing this over something else. Um, I just don't have, I have nothing else that I want to be doing right now. So um, I think this will be a great worthwhile thing to be doing right now. And if I can stay healthy, um, I can surprise myself and that's why I'm doing it. And I think that if of staying healthy, mm -hmm. that doesn't just come with you, you two with having injury history, that goes along with everybody. The sustainability within the sport, I mean, the attrition rate is high. You see people, especially after Olympic cycles, it, you see a lot of people leave the sport for numerous reasons. Mm -hmm. Health, happiness, family, whatever it might be, career opportunities. But the if isn't just applied because of your injury history. Again, that's my job to keep you guys healthy, so I don't do something stupid. That's true, but I also want to add that... Um we as athletes have a big responsibility too to Agreed. make sure we're recovering and not taking on too many hours uh, at work, doing something that's exhausting or nutritionally. Not well, yeah. um, so I think as long as I do what's in my power to stay healthy, um, obviously I'm relying on you for <laughs> weekly treatment too. But yeah. you know, being smart about nutrition, so. And uh, for me, I think it's just the love of the sport. I mean, I love, I love training. One of my senior, one of my awards on uh, at Gonzaga was the workout champ because I think sometimes I, I ran a little too hard in workouts. Let's um, change that to the race champ. Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can, I can do that. But I just loved uh, the idea of like seeing how, how, like, how much I can push myself every day in practice and then on on race day too. And even with 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 my injury history, um, I had such a, a even progression. You know, from a 428 
1600 meter runner in high school. I ran 401 in the 1500 my freshman year in college. Um, and kind of steadily every year uh, took you know, five to three seconds off uh, that PR. So if I can stay consistent, I, you know, there's no, I don't think I've hit my ceiling yet. So it's, again, kind of shadowing what Tyler said. Like, I, if, um, I don't think in my 30s or 40s I'm going to look back and regret, um, you know, pushing off a career to run. I think I would regret not seeing how far I can go in this sport. Um, so that's basically the, the main motivating factor for me. Well, I'm excited to see what you guys can do this spring. I'm excited to see what you guys can do in two weeks at your next race. Everything is a step in a positive direction. And obviously we hope to not recreate some of the things you guys had in your past lives as runners, but ultimately I think your guys' passion for the sport is something that a lot of people at home can relate to of something that continues to drive them to pursue whatever goals that they want to accomplish within the sport. So now it's a matter of not just getting into races healthy. It's what do you do with the opportunities once you're there and being willing to put yourself in a position to be successful at the end of the day. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thank you.